This morning we have a great privilege as a church with Andrew Baxley. If you want to go come up, Andrew. Andrew Baxley will be bringing God's word this morning. Andrew grew up at Cornerstone, and he, I think in many ways, is a picture of what God has been doing in this church, of raising up people and sending them out to serve the Lord. And he is, he and his wife Kelly are here this morning, and they are getting ready to go serve as missionaries in Colombia. And so we're just delighted to have you and delighted for you to open God's word for us today. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Walt. Good morning. It's really good to be with you. This is, uh, it's, it's exciting to be here because this is a place where I really feel still like family. Um, and I feel like many of you who I know well, and even those I don't, are part of I'm a continuing family of this church that I feel uh, very much influenced by and affected by and a part of. Um, when I was trying to decide what passage I wanted to pick uh, to bring to you this morning, I wanted to pick a passage, one that um, is something I'm passionate about, which is the next generation, but also a, uh, a fitting psalm for this church's influence on me, this church's impact on me over the years. Um, so what it is, I chose Psalm 145. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 145. I believe it will also be on the screen, yep. Um, the Psalms are a corporate hymn book of the people of God. They are, a, um, they are meant to be sung. They are meant to be spoken aloud together. Um, they, are, uh, they are a way that the community in the Old Testament and today um, that we can declare together what we believe to be true, what we affirm and what we are committed to as believers. So I'm going to ask us to do something a little bit um, different maybe this morning. I'm going to ask us to read the entire passage together and aloud um, and let us together affirm um, what we believe to be true. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words. And kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. And raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. 
He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a great God, and we I pray, Lord, that we would um, just listen this morning and hear your word, and that you would speak through me, um, and that we would leave here with a heart to reach the next generation um, in our community. I pray, listen, just name. Uh, one of my, uh, as Walt mentioned, my wife and I are moving to Bogota, Colombia um, this, uh, this summer, we hope, um, and we are, one of the missionaries that we're serving with there is a diehard St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. Die hard. Like, he loves them. He probably watches every single game. And he has a son. He's just a five-year-old son. And you, can, you better believe that from the day that child was born, he bought him a T-shirt. He bought him a baseball glove. He bought him a, a ball. He started telling stories about how great the Cardinals were. He started telling all these amazing feats that different Cardinals players have, uh, have, throughout, have done throughout the years. And uh, particularly, uh, his son uh, latched onto this one player, Yadier Molina, who is a, uh, the catcher for the Cardinals. And uh, Andrew would tell him stories about how great Yadi was and that he, uh, the home run he hit in the 2006 NLCS to put the Cardinals in the World Series. And uh, uh, the, the son's name is Fox. Uh, Fox lives in Bogota. He had never really been a part of American baseball, so he, he called himself a fan. You know, he would cheer yadi yadi when the games were on, but he had never actually been to the games. He had never actually, he called himself a fan, but really he was just a fan because his dad was. But what's ha- what happened last year is uh, Andrew was able to bring him with him on a father-son trip back to the States, to St. Louis. And they were able to go to a Cardinals game. And their friend gave them tickets right behind home plate. They sat there, um, and Fox was in the 44,000-member uh, uh, audience of this, watching this team, all wearing the red and white, all cheering for the Cardinals, watching Yachty play right in front of him. And then at the end of the game, Yachty walked up to Fox and actually put a ball in his hand. Now, uh, Fox is a Cardinals fan for life. You can, be, you can be assured of that. And it's not because his dad's a fan. He's a fan for life because he saw the Cardinals. And he saw them play in the midst of this giant community of other Cardinals fans. And he saw that it's not awesome to be a Cardinals fan. It's awesome to be a Cardinals fan because the Cardinals are awesome. Not because I'm a fan. Not because my dad is a fan. That's what this psalm is calling us to this morning. It's calling us to be that community. It's calling us to be that father um, who comes along the next generation and raises up a generation that are fans, that are loyal, that are loyal to the Lord. Not because their parents are loyal to the Lord, not because their older people in the church are loyal to the Lord, but because the Lord is awesome. The Lord is great. Um, and that's what we want to, that's what this psalm calls us to do. You can see um, a, couple place, a couple places in this psalm where it repeats this, uh, uh, this idea. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verses 11 and 12, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and, your, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Again, in verse 13, you see, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And in verse 21, the closing uh, passage talks about blessing his name forever and ever, talking about the worship of the Lord going on generation after generation after generation. 
And uh, I, I think anyone in here who's a parent, I am not, knows this calling very clearly. That's my calling. But what we need to realize is that this is a communal psalm. We read it together because we are affirming that as an entire community, this church, the global church, needs to be involved in commending the works of God to the next generation and raising up the next generation. Everyone in this congregation is involved in raising up the next generation. In fact, you commit to this regularly. Whenever there's a child who is baptized in this church, like there will be in the later service, Walt or whoever's doing the baptism will ask the congregation, do you promise to assist in the upbringing of this child? Do you promise to participate in his Christian or his or her Christian nurture? We're committed to this as a congregation. Um, but also, it's not just a calling, it's, a, it's an opportunity. There's a Barna Research poll that came out a number of years ago um, where they interviewed uh, evangelical, Bible-believing, committed Christians throughout all of the United States, and they found that 95% of Christians claim Christ as their king before the age of 30. 95%. And that probably isn't surprising to most many of you, because many of you probably became Christians before the age of 30, when you were in your developmental years. So what, we, what we're seeing is that with the next generation, with those growing up, we have a real opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. There's a huge opportunity for us to reach um, this generation. And not only that, um, it's a cross-cultural ministry. Uh, research also shows us that generation gaps are getting larger. The way, the way technology is advancing, the way other things are, um, are in our culture are advancing, it's causing a bigger and bigger divide from one generation to the next on a, on a cultural level. So that means that your generation, you can assume that the generation above you and the generation below you have significant cultural differences, even though they may look like you and live in your homes. Um, that's, that's true. But the... So what we need to do is as we go into a cross-cultural ministry, just like you would be going into another cross-cultural ministry overseas or in another community, um, you need, there needs to be a lot of thought, care, patience, a lot of listening being done as we cross this generation gap. But I would, I would argue that the main issue generally is not our inability to cross the generation gap when we're ministering to youth, although that is an issue. The main issue is our own hearts. Um, in our hearts, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that there is a, a tendency to not raise up a generation that worships the Lord, but wants to raise up a generation that, that to be like us. It's so easy to try to make the next, want the next generation to just be replicas of ourselves. What we're doing is we're actually saying, you know what, look at me. We're not saying look at God, we're saying look at me. Become a Cardinals fan, become a fan of the Lord because I'm, I am a fan of the Lord. We're not saying, instead what we need to be doing is we need to be pointing people to the Lord, pointing the next generation to the Lord. We are reflecting the Lord to the next generation, and he must be forefront. It shifts, so this psalm helps us with that. This psalm challenges us. It shifts our heart's allegiance from one of self-focus to one that is praising God. This is a psalm of praise of our glorious king. It's a psalm of praise. It shifts our hearts and causes us to... Um, to see him and to look at him and to look at how great and good he is. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're not going to be talking about methodology of reaching the next generation as much as we're going to be talking about what it is we are to declare. What are we to declare the next generation? And this uh, passage um, makes it clear that we are to declare that God is great, declare the greatness of God, our king, 
And we're also to declare his goodness. So uh, looking in, um, at verse 3, what we see is uh, God's greatness on full display. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, verse 5, the glory, it talks about the glorious splendor of your majesty. And he talks about his wondrous works. In verse 6, he talks about the might of, the psalm talks about the might of your awesome deeds, declaring your greatness. Um, verses 11 through 13, we see that the psalmist talks of the glory of God's kingdom, God's power, God's mighty deeds, God's glorious splendor, God's everlasting kingdom, God's dominion. Over and over again, this, this, the psalmist is focusing on God is great. And he can't even communicate it with words. He says God's greatness is unsearchable. It is unable for us to fathom. And so what he does is he actually even uses some poetic techniques just to expand the fact that we can't even muster the right words to praise God. For instance, if you look in, um, in this psalm, you'll recognize that there are 12 synonyms for the word praise used. 12. Extol, bless, praise, commend, declare, meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud, give thanks, make known, look to you. The psalm is using this repetition and these synonyms of the word to say God is worthy of any type of praise that you can give. Any type of praise you can give ever should be directed at God, and he's worthy of it. And then second, you see the, a repeat of the word all or every. All or every. That word is used over and over and over again to talk about all generations. Every day I will bless you. All that God has made. All your saints shall bless you. Dominion endures throughout all generations. We see this repeat of all and every. And this shows us that God's dominion as king expands over all. It expands over all time, all places, all people, all generations. And then finally, you wouldn't be able to see this from reading it in English, but this psalm is is an acrostic psalm in Hebrew. It is a a psalm that each phrase uses uses the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, going through all the letters. And the reason a psalmist would do that would be to emphasize that every word that we can use, every word in the alphabet that can be used to praise God should be marshaled in praise of our God. So the psalmist is using every technique he possibly can to try to communicate to us that God is way greater, way bigger than we can even understand as people. God is the one um, that is great. He's calling us to be awestruck by his greatness. He's calling us to look at how big God is, how great he is. And it's important to note that this psalm is actually written by King David, regarded to be the greatest king in the Bible. Greatest king of all time, maybe. Um, and uh, David knew that his greatness paled in comparison to the great God he was writing about. Paled in comparison. When um, uh, the moon and the sun, right? The moon is tiny. The sun is giant. We look up in the sky sometimes. It looks like the same size. But we need to remember that the sun is a huge. That this, the moon pales in comparison to the sun, Right? Um, but when the, sun, when the moon's in the sky at night, it shines light down. That light is not its own. We know, if we study our um, science, that the, uh, the sun reflects the light off the moon down onto Earth, right? Um, and so, uh, but then occasionally something happens. We see once every few years what's called a solar eclipse. You see the moon, and it moves in front of the sun. And the, uh, when it moves in front of the sun, it's no longer... Shining, the, sun, the moon is no longer reflecting any light. It's actually blacking out the light behind it and is turning completely black itself. 
we are, we are like the moon to the next generation. The Lord has shown himself to us. He has shined his glory to us. And it is, we are called to reflect that glory to the next generation. We are called to reflect God's greatness to the next generation. But what we do often is we like to eclipse the sun. We like to make ourselves bigger and make God's light smaller. We like to, make, we like to have people look to us and look at our greatness rather than to point to the one who truly is great. The, uh, as a community who wants to declare God's greatness to the next generation, um, we need to be a community that speaks of God's greatness. But we also got to be a community that knows God's greatness so well that the next generation experiences it through us, that we reflect it through the way we live. So as a community that wants to declare God's greatness, we need to be a community who each and every one of us is engaged in public and private worship, who is committed in their hearts as worshipers, first off, of God, who are regularly worshiping. We need to be a community that regularly prays and depends on God. When you're depending on God, you don't point to yourself. You point to someone else. We need to be a community um, that doesn't need to have all the answers all the time. It doesn't have everything figured out. Um, We need to be a community that doesn't demand glory or honor or respect, um, but is quick to give the glory, honor, and respect to our great God. A community that declares God's greatness is a community that does everything in its power not to eclipse God's greatness, but reflects it. But we can't separate God's amazing greatness from his goodness. In fact, uh, we look in the psalm, we also see a very beautiful picture that our God is good. And in fact, the fact that we have such a great God that is also good just emphasizes his greatness all the more. He is, he's not only amazing, unfathomable, unsearchable, but he is good to us. And he shows us his goodness uh, through the way he acts. That's why it says, One generation shall commend your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. But it follows up to say in verse 7, to, to explain what that means, it says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Um, God shows us in this passage his goodness in two main ways. He shows us his goodness through his common grace, and he shows us his goodness through... Um, his saving grace. Uh, common grace is a term that we use to talk about the grace that God gives to all of mankind. Um, there's, God is good, and this passage says that um, your goodness, excuse me, the Lord is good to all. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Um, verses 15 and 16 says, you open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. You open your hand and, and satisfy the desire of everything. We see that God, his grace expands over all, all creation. How is this so? Well, it says he fulfills the desires of every living thing. If you think about it, God's grace gives everyone gifts. Everyone, whether you are a believer, whether you are surrendered to the king or not, you get to experience pieces of God's goodness. We all get to experience uh, relationship and intimacy. We all get to experience um, beauty and art and uh, music and joy and laughter and rainfall and natural beauty and creation. We all get to experience that. But as Christians, as people who are committed to the king, we know that, that God is actually the source of that goodness. 
And not only is he the source of the goodness, it is in him that those, that goodness is truly fulfilled. Um, there's a, one of the things about the generation gap that, uh, that developmental psychologists have learned is that different generations tend to ask different questions about life. Um, so while a more modernist generation, so maybe the older generation, would tend to ask the question, what is, uh, what is right and wrong? What is required of me? Um, that's a great question. The Bible speaks to that. And so for Christians and we're modernists, we're going to be like, the Bible says that this is right or this is wrong. This Bible tells me how to live this way and how not to live that way. Wonderful. The postmodern generation is asking a different but also important question. The postmodern generation tends to ask the question, what is good? What, what is going to bring joy? That's, that tends to be the question. So I'll give you an example. When we talk about cultural issues where you, you're seeing a cultural shift and a belief on something, for instance, in our, our culture right now, um, the topic of gay marriage. Um, while the older generation, who's Christians, will look at the Bible and they'll say, well, God's very clear. We know that God is clear that gay marriage is, is wrong. It says so in the Bible, right or wrong. The next generation is good, is asking what is good. So they're not asking the question, what is, what is required of me right away? They're asking first, what is good? So is, is gay marriage a good thing? Is it good for the people involved? But the good news is the Bible actually answers that question as well. The Bible speaks to a God who is good, who truly, is only in a, who truly and only in him are our desires fulfilled? He has actually given us laws. He's given us the right and wrong, not just as an arbitrary set of rules, but God has given us right and wrong to show us the way we are designed to live and thrive. So we have the opportunity, as we are declaring to the next generation God's goodness, we have the opportunity to point them to a God who will fulfill their desires and fulfill the deepest longings of their heart, just like they fulfilled the longings of ours. And secondly, and maybe even more importantly, God's goodness is shown through his saving work. His saving work is clear in this passage. Um, if, you, if you look with me in uh, verse 7, um, sorry, verse 8. This is a very uh, famous verse. You'll probably recognize this because it's repeated often in the Old Testament. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The psalmist adds this. Uh, phrase in here, knowing that all of Israel will recognize it. This is essentially the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Every Old Testament child, adult, would have known this phrase by heart. This was a phrase that God had given to the Israelites to declare his covenant faithfulness to them, that he, was, he had saved them, he had rescued them, and he was merciful and gracious toward them. He gave it to them actually right after uh, they had come out of, the, uh, out of Egypt. He had rescued them from slavery and pulled them into um, into Sinai, he had, he had, and he gave them this phrase to declare to them that I am gracious. But what's interesting is he didn't give it to them right away. He gave it to them in chapter 34 of Exodus, which is right after the golden calf. So right after Israel had been rescued by God and turned their backs on him and worshipped an idol, God says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, with steadfast love. We see that God is, is his patience is long-suffering. He loves his people. He is committed to them, and he has saved them and rescued them. So that is the imagery the psalmist is trying to give, this, to remind the people as they sing this psalm that God is our Savior. God is the one who has rescued us from slavery. And we, we don't look back on the Exodus now. 
we look back on Christ, Christ who has come while we are still sinners, who is patient with us and rescued us from our sin, even when we didn't deserve it. That is what Christ has done, and we get to look back and see God's long-suffering. We get to see God's steadfast, saving love for us. Um, but it's important to note that who this steadfast love is directed at, while God's common grace is directed at everyone, God's saving grace is directed particularly at believers. But even more specifically, he describes what believers are to be like. If you look at verse 14, it's talking about God's goodness and his saving work. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 18, the Lord is near to, him, to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. These, are, these phrases are communicating that those who truly serve the king are people who are humble. First and foremost, the heart of someone who is allegiant to the king, who knows the king's goodness, is someone who is humble. Of course, we want to raise up the next generation as people who are righteous, who are living according to God's laws. But we must realize that first and foremost, righteousness comes first and foremost from a heart of humility. A heart that knows that we aren't good enough, but God is good enough. So let us raise up a generation, let's raise up the next generation as people who know they're not good enough, know they don't have to be good enough, and yet point to the fact that God is good enough on their behalf. Imagine how different it would be if we really believed this in the context of the next generation. It would change the way we act. It would, it would, it would, it would cause us to be humble, to humble ourselves in front of the next generation. It would cause us to realize that although we have some wisdom and some maturity because we are older. Certainly that's true. At the end of the day, just our kids, the kids in our community, and us are sinners in need of grace. That is the, that is the end of the day truth. That humbles us. That forces us um, to be quick to apologize to our children, to the children in our community. Be quick to admit our failures. Maybe even quick to go and share with them your personal struggles. One of the most impactful things for me in all of uh, my life in terms of understanding the gospel was when in college a mentor came up to me and he sat down with me and he shared with me his brokenness. He shared with me some of the things he was deeply struggling with and he confided in me. And then he encouraged me to do the same. And in that context, that was the first time I really understood. I experienced God's grace. I experienced someone who actually didn't believe he had to be good. He believed that God was good for him, so much so that he could declare that this is my brokenness. It does not define me. And then free me up to do the same. That is where we experience the gospel when we are willing to admit vulnerably in community that we are broken. And the next generation sees that in us and experiences that in us. That is more powerful even than just saying that Christ died for your sins. It's more powerful to actually live as if you believe it. Um, When we are able to do this, when we are able to reflect God's greatness, we are like the moon. We are reflecting God's greatness. We are raising up a generation that aren't Cardinals fans because because you're a Cardinals fan. You're raising up a generation that knows that God is awesome. Um, but I do have a challenge to the next generation, to those of you perhaps who uh, have felt like this sermon has been preached to someone older than you, um, someone maybe even my age. Uh, we are, in a lot of ways, I am the younger generation. There are people younger than me in the audience right here. There's a challenge in this passage to us as well. 
Um, there's a challenge for us to listen to the words, listen to the actions of the people above us. I, I encourage you, I actually challenge you specifically, go find someone who's in an older generation, who's known the Lord longer than you. Go find them and ask them to tell you stories. Ask them to tell you stories of how they have experienced God's greatness, how they have experienced God's common grace and how God has fulfilled their desires. Ask them, to find, ask them how God has um, shown them his faithfulness. That's how God brought them to himself. There's so much to be gained to learn from previous generations who have known the Lord longer. Do that. I challenge you to do that. And I guarantee that there are people in this, in this congregation who would love to share that with you. Um, I want to I leave us this morning with a, uh, a note of affirmation and a note of encouragement. Uh, I want to affirm this church. This church, I, I grew up in this church my entire life for the most part. Um, and I personally know that this church has a heart for the next generation. I've seen it. I've experienced it. More, I've, I've genuinely experienced it from many of you who don't even know I've experienced it from you, um, the way I was loved well in this church. And although there's many of you I don't know, I, I have to assume that the same is true today. And if you think about it, there has been a lot of fruit. You know, I, I mean, I've obviously been called to ministry. This church has shaped my call to ministry. But even if you look around, there's other people who, are sh- who have been shaped for ministry. I mean, your pastor and his wife were discipled as young people in this church. You have, you have people who are, who are just members of this church, like Janice or Dave, who are now invested in ministry. Um, like some to the next generation. You have uh, one of my uh, friends growing up, Elizabeth Farner, who has who start, started Lighthouse and is, uh, is ministering to young adults in our community. This is fruit of your work. And it shows that it's important. And it shows that it means something. Um, but... I know that some of you are probably feeling, um, for every one of those success stories, um, we're, we're also aware of those who have been discipled and nurtured and loved, um, well, in this congregation, um, who, who, aren't, who are not walking with the Lord, who are wandering. Um, and it, it breaks our heart. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things as, a, as someone who does youth ministry to experience. Um, and I'm, certainly, it's, I'm certain that it's much harder as a parent. Um, so as many of you are out there struggling with this and you're dealing with maybe your, the ways you failed or the ways maybe you felt like you've succeeded and still your child is walking away, um, there is hope. There is an encouragement from this passage because God's dominion endures throughout all generations. God is the one who draws people to himself. God is the one who is doing the work. So despite your failures or your successes in reaching the next generation, it is God who can work through that and make all things new. So let us continue to praise him. Let us uh, conclude like this psalm does and say, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are great and you are a good God. And we pray that you, we would know that and point to you rather than ourselves. Uh, Fellas, in Jesus' name, amen.